Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Amen. And there's a war for the word. Good morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. And we pray, O oh God, that your will be done, that your revelation come to us on earth, even as it's done and known in heaven. Father, I pray that you tuck each one who hears into the safety of the palm of your hand, that we will feel your peace, your comfort, your truth, and the encouragement, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us to lead us and to guide us into all truth. Your word sets us free. Your word is truth, Lord God. And I pray today that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive the revelation of that truth. I thank you, Lord God, that we will put away our foolish notions and assumptions, the implications and perceptions that we have had in the past, and that we will look to you, Lord God, for the fresh revelation of what's always been there in your word through the uh, rightly dividing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Find the powers of darkness that have hidden it from us, that have confused us, that have counterfeited it, that have concealed it, that have wrapped it up in cliches and tried to sell it to us as uh, swift and and clever marketing tools. Father, and I thank you now that you come with wisdom as we ask for that wisdom, as we cry out for that discernment and that direction, that confirmation, Lord God, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the powers of darkness, the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, that nothing will prevail against us, Lord God, because we are yours. We're under the shadow of your wings, in the, in the, under the counsel of your shield, your protections, Father. Now I pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. And um, I'm all by myself today. Jerry's out on a mission. And so today we're going to be talking about, and I'm kind of, pro- I hope I'm not going to wander around too much because this is a very fun subject but it's, there's so much to it, and you can just go so many different directions. It's not like a straight shot anywhere because <laughs> there's just so much to it. But, you know, um, we're talking today about uh, things that Jesus never said and those things that are oftentimes actually preached from our gospel pulpits. You know, we get hearing those things so often that we just assume and presume that they're true. Things like um, let go, let God just hold on, lay it down, carry your cross, surrender, try harder. God helps those who help themselves. That's really, actually, people think that verse is a verse in the Bible. Be good. Um, it's your fault. Uh, it was your choice. You know how many times we, we bring that up. And in all of these cliches, as you just examine them or clearly do the spiritual math, you'll see they all reduce down to not rest, peace, joy, and um, hope, but they, re- they reduce down to uh, fear, panic, condemnation, guilt. Um, you should have known better. Uh, uh, take responsibility. That, that's a big one. That's a huge, huge undercurrent, undergirding uh, sp- uh, principle, principle <laughs> in the, um, the affairs of men in the, in the worldview system that we live in. Take responsibility. And yet Jesus never said that not one time to any of his disciples, even on occasion where it would have been probably considered appropriate to take responsibility for their actions, for their words, for, uh, you know, for squabbling among themselves, for trying to um, call down fire on some innocent Samaritans and things like that. Um, He never said, I'm ashamed of you. Never, never put the disciples to shame, never embarrassed them in public or in private. Actually, when he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, he wasn't embarrassing Peter. He was actually pointing something out that was strategic and critical for Peter to know and understand. Set a boundary. These are some of my favorite pet peeves. Um, uh, set boundaries uh, or, or strike a balance. Balance and boundaries. You can't work those two concepts into the Word of God because the Word of God is truth and truth has heads and a tails. It, it's not a left or a right, a, a, a north or a south or east or a west. It is a, an integration. Uh, and t- for example, if you set a, a, a boundary, where do you draw the line between turn the other cheek and, and go the second mile and um, 
you know, don't even eat with them and shake the dust off. There's no boundary to put. It's, it's not a matter of a boundary, and I've said this many times. It's a matter of knowing what time is it. Is it time to having done all to stand, or is it, ha- is it time to uh, go the second mile? Is it time to let go of the situation, release it to God? Is it time to um, shake the dust off? What, it, what time is it? Becomes As Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for every purpose under heaven. So many times we try to fix our situations by slapping a cliche on it and then just, oh, trust God or, oh, just read your Bible more. Or, oh, just, 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 oh, just, oh, just what? I hate that. Oh, just, oh, just God. Oh, just God. Just, oh, just God. Just God. Just do this. Just. I hate that because you're limiting it when you say, oh, just, just do this. Don't do it. Don't do any more than this. No, do it all. God, do everything I'm asking and more than I can even think. Um, so setting boundaries, reading, writing books about that, all these self-help books about boundaries and control and balance, striking a balance. It makes me think of like walking on a tightrope, you know, living your life, walking on a tightrope with a balancing rod in your hand and trying to hold on to life and, and do tasks. It's impossible because it's the, you know, and, the, and here's another fun one. Uh, and it's in almost all the Hallmark movies, by the way, I'm not knocking Hallmark. They're probably the better movies out there, but their undercurrent is to get you to follow your heart, follow your heart, just follow your heart. Just believe in yourself. Okay. Believe in yourself. Now, I think preachers say that sometimes follow your heart, you know, balance. Um, oh, here's another nice one that isn't working too good for Houston right now. Live your best life now. I'm not. I'm not knocking Houston. I'm praying for those poor, precious people, but they have been preached at. Live your best life now. This isn't my best life now. This is God in me working through a hellhole down here called the snake pit of life to praise him, to love him, and to see him preserve me in the midst of and keep my salvation in the midst of Satan's relentless attack to try to rip it from me. St. Paul says, I know whom I have believed and I persuaded he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. So commit your salvation and the keeping of it back to God and just follow Jesus. Now that he did say, follow me. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is ahead. And he did say that. Now, how many of us are saying or hearing that from the pulpit? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. How many of us hear that from the pulpit? Hey, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. How many of us hear any of that? No, no, no. I don't think that mandate is given from the, that directive, that assignment is not given uh, as the people are about to leave the, the gathering that morning. You say, okay, go heal the sick now. Go cleanse the, the lepers, raise the dead. You know, not, nothing like that is ever, it's just, just go try harder, be good, make sure you show up for church tonight or, you know, Wednesday night. We'll want to see you at the, at the big, uh, you know, festival or whatever, where the carnival we're going to throw in a week from now. It's just garbage like that. Sorry. Uh, We'll get to that. I I don't want to be too harsh. I'm not judging. I'm just observing things that are not in the Bible that are preached and perceived to be in the Bible. Now, let's look for a minute at this. Three words. Implications, interpretations, and perceptions. The gospel has been attacked. Satan has attacked the gospel in many insidious ways because he could not actually figure out a way to destroy this message. The, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace and good news, is hell's greatest fear. That that truth, that revelation, that word, that power, freedom that comes from knowing the truth. By the way, if you're walking in the truth, you're going to also experience freedom. And that's one of the ways you tell if you're walking in the truth or not. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. So if your life is reducing down to panic, fear, condemnation, could or should have confusion... You're not, you're not listening to the right truth. You may think it's truth that may have scripture laced in a, with a bunch of lies, but you're, you're not getting the right product. Jesus says that a good tree brings forth good fruit. He says out of the heart proceeds, you know, what the mouth speaks. The mouth is speaking what's in the heart. And if you're, if you're stuff that you're believing, saying, and hearing yourself say, really, actually, your mouth is a very good helper in teaching you what you're believing because your mouth will tell you exactly if you're getting this information from your soul or from your spirit. And if you're getting it from your soul, you're going to say, I think and I feel and I don't know. If you're getting it from your spirit, you're going to say, it's good. It is well with my soul. I'm okay. I know. 
even though you don't know everything about the situation, you know the bottom line, that you're at peace and God's got it. But going back to hell. So hell is dedicated to the eradication of any kind of liberating truth. Um, in the beginning, they, they tried to burn all the Bibles. They tried to keep people from reading the Bible and kill the people who had Bibles, tried to kill the, the prophets, the messengers of God, shutting it down. But that only seemed to make it worse. The blood of the martyrs and the Bible burned only seemed to fl- the flame, fan the flame of the desire for God. And so they found a more effective way to destroy the word, the powerful messages of the gospel of grace and good news, not by burning it, but by gently tweaking and twisting it, by telling the people all kinds of things. Like, number one, you're not spiritually astute enough to read it for yourself or interpret it for yourself. You need to have a priest or a prophet or a pastor. You need to have somebody else pray for you. You need to have somebody else tell you the will of God for you. You need to have somebody else lay hands on you. You can't, you know, don't, you don't need to read the book. We'll read it for you. We'll tell you what it means. And in the process of telling you what it means, we'll also control you. That part is kind of in the fine print of the contract there. Um, they, Satan has used the, the counterfeiting, changing it ever so slightly, just over time. Uh, he also uses the tactics of preaching many different versions of it. We have so, now so many versions of the Bible that, you know, we could probably use a different version of the Bible for every day of the month. Uh, and some of them are sort of agreeing with each other, and some of them just ever so slightly take out, like, the virgin birth in the NIV or, you know, just move a few words around or put them in a different place so they don't connect and make sense, like Romans 8.1. Um, it, it just kind of brings, it makes it way more difficult and unless you are really focusing and paying attention to the words you're reading and meditating on it, thinking, actually thinking about what you're reading when reading it, you're just doing it for duty's sake, you will get nothing out of it. So a lot of people have been driven to do it for duty's sake, just to read so they can say, I read four chapters today, or I'm keeping up with my Bible study, or I filled in all the blanks for my Bible study book. And you know what? If you don't allow that word to sink into your heart and think about it, meditate, appropriate it, receive it for yourself, it basically is like, Dumping water all over yourself when you're dying of thirst. It's not going to work. Okay, back to this. So um, he, he want, Satan wants to believe, uh, cause us to believe that we either are too stupid, we got to have somebody else help us, or he makes all of the counterfeit versions of the Bible. He also makes counterfeit versions of the gospel itself. And this has been going on since... Uh, well, since the beginning of time, think about how many ways, different ways and rituals and religions and, and different peculiar uh, rituals people use to try to find God, make peace with God, seek God, know God's will. You know, everything from omens and, and fortune telling and tea or whatever, whatever, you know. But, but on the more church side of it, obviously some of those other things we kind of can figure out. But Jesus said to the disciples, or he said to the um, Pharisees when he was with his disciples, he said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they, they, are, they, they are that which te- teaches of me, tells of me. And yet you're standing here ready to kill me, the very one who the, pre- the, the, surf- the scriptures that you're searching speak about. And so he's saying you're missing the whole point. A lot of times Satan laces um, his evil lie with scriptures, with familiar religious prayers. For example, I know that uh, the psychic healers use the Our Father, some of them, uh, as uh, John Michelson says in the book, The Beautiful Side of Evil, before they begin their demonic psychic healings. They actually bring these, mostly, you know, your uh, people in who are, you know, familiar with the Our Father. So they pray that first they have little altars there. So it looks like you're walking into a holy place and you're walking into an abomination. We also see the word of God used misused, misrepresented, misquoted, but put in a Bible shape format, scriptures, you know, in things like the Masons. They have a Masonic Bible. Satan has a Bible. The uh, snake charmers, they, they all use verses like magic charms uh, to, to misconstrue it. But let's go back to the more mainstream churchgoers uh, like you and I, the ones who go to church, you know, recognize the church as a building with doors, big, big doors, 
nice steps up or, or now at the theater seats now and a stage now. We, we used to have crosses. We used to have a, a pulpit and a platform and a place for the worship team, whatever. But now we have changed it. It's more of an entertainment center. Um, and so we're going to entertain the masses. And it's just really sad. It's really sad. It's really a waste of money and so sad. And it's an abomination. And it's not the gospel. But Jesus did say about that, too. He says, you know, he says, they're going to come. Wolves in, in coming in sheep's clothing, standing behind the pulpits, looking like you spot their feast, Judas, Jude said. They're going to come looking like they're one of us, eating with us, eating with us, worshiping with us, fellowshipping with us, and yet not of us. Wolves in sheep's clothing, um, acting like us. Jesus again says, beware, in Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets. This is a really scary set of verses right here. I, I'm just going to stop here for a second um, because I have to, because we're getting close to the end, people. Really, really close. I mean, like maybe even, you know, it's not impossible that the rapture of the church and the, uh, that, the, the eminent, eminent means right now, anytime, can happen anytime. You know, when you're nine and a half months pregnant, it's eminent that you're going to give birth to a baby. It's, you know, you don't know the second, you don't know the hour, but it's going to happen. <clears throat> so this is where we are eminent in this. And Jesus said this, I'm going to read. Now, this is really with all these cliches, all the stuff you believe you think to be true. You need to test. The Bible says, take captive every thought, make it subject to the obedience of Christ. Does it match up to the word? Does it fit the truth? Does it bring forth the fruits of righteousness, peace, and joy? Okay. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Then he goes on to say, here's common sense. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? I haven't seen it done, have you? It doesn't work. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. And this is, you say, I can't judge them. I can't judge them. You know, what is he saying here? He's not saying judge them. He's saying, no, K-N-O-W, know them, recognize. You know, is it judging when you recognize that that there's a, a danger sign and the road has been washed out in front of you? Is that judging the road? Or is that discerning that you better not drive there? That's not going to work for you. I mean, let's get stupider than stupid and let's just be dumb or let's be wise and know that there is a time we must discern their fruits. Jesus said it, or you're going to be swallowed up. You're going to be snatched up. You're going to be tricked, deceived. You know, going back to the three words I was going to tell you about implications, interpretations, and perceptions. Satan loves these words. Implication. These are ways he tricks us into believing the lies because it looks good. It sounds good. Uh, the preacher is a preacher. He's got a collar on. He's got a vestment. He, he, we, we call him pastor. He stands behind the pulpit. You know, he's been to Bible school. He's got the, the plaque on his wall. You know, implication means to connect something with something, to show something related to something or played a part in or agreed with the doing of something, especially a crime. So when Satan is trying to get us to agree, one of the ways he gets us to agree is through implied consent. When we are implicate ourselves, oh, it's my fault. I'm guilty. I should have done better. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're implicating yourself before the court of heaven that you did something wrong. Well, yes, you maybe did do something wrong. You maybe did fall for a lie, got tricked and sinned. Now, God says, if you did that, if that happens to you, you get tricked. And by the way, he says, every believer is going to get tricked in first John. He says, when you sin, don't deny your sin, confess your sin. I'm faithful and just to forgive it. Let's go on. Let's get out. Let's go through this thing and get over it. Instead of doing all this penance and rituals and thinking I'm mad at you and you've got to make up for it somehow and blah, blah, blah. But no, not simple like that. No, the devil says you're implicated. You're guilty. And, and, and if you go into court of law and you're trying to find justice for yourself and you agree with the prosecution that you're guilty, you did something wrong. It's your fault. You, you didn't take responsibility when you should have. You broke the law. You agree with all that, and you haven't went before the judge already and received his pardon. Then the devil will use that to implicate you as guilty, and then he will bring down on you the demonic judgments, and God's hands are tied because you've already agreed with the devil and not the Lord. Does that make sense? 
I know it's going to stretch our brain sometimes to think about things this way, but this is really what it is. Another thing, that this is implied consent. Okay, so Satan tries to get us through conscious and unconscious agreements, through passive agreements, through um, vows that we make, and through implied consent. And he has to get our agreement before he can hurt us. So many times we say, for example, going back to those cliches in the beginning we were talking about, okay, if, if I'm responsible or need to take responsibility, and I didn't take responsibility, by the way, again, God never said that. As a matter of fact, Paul says very clearly in Romans 7:20, if I am doing what I do not want to do, that would be about any sin or addiction you can put in that blank right there. If I'm doing what I do not want to do, it is not me doing it. It is the sin that dwells in me. He says, Paul says, I see this war going on inside of me, the one who wills to do good. Well, we all acknowledge the war and we feel torn up by the war, but we all think the war inside of us is our fault. It's not your fault. It's the devil's strategy to rip you apart from God, to set you. That's why God says, don't use your flesh soul combination to think of or feel or try to figure out. Or be confused by what's going on. He says, I will send my Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth clearly that you can know that you know what you know. So inside of every believer, there are two sets of software talked about in Romans 7 and 8. One is the flesh, which is the body and the soul combination tied together because if they're separated, you're dead. So we call that the flesh. And then the other one is the spirit. So we have the soul and the spirit. So the soul has been programmed by the experiences that you've experienced in the pit that you believed were the truth, that are really lies, that you're now using that information programmed into your soul, mind, will, and emotions to help you figure out what to do next and what's right and what's wrong. What's the true gospel? You know what? The true gospel is written in the word of God as rightly divided by the Holy Spirit. And anybody can read it that wants to, whosoever will. God doesn't say you have to be super IQ, you have to be smart, you have to have somebody else help you. So going back to... The implications, that's one of the problems that, well, it's one of the um, tools, uh, avenues, venues, things that Satan uses to mess up, counterfeit the true gospel of grace and good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ has two adjectives, grace and good news. The second thing that Satan uses is interpretation. Now, interpretation means to establish the meaning of something, to find the meaning of something. So he wants the interpretation or the perception. Perception means a process of using our senses, mind, will, and emotions again, to acquire information about the surrounding environment or situation, the result of observing something. So you perceive something. So when you're in the snake pit, Satan wants to cause you to perceive things a certain way. Uh, For example, you failed, you sinned, or somebody sinned against you. Let's just say you sinned. You bought into a lie. You bought into the hook. You were deceived. You sinned, okay? And so now the process that he wants you to, the implication is you're guilty. And because you perceived that it's your fault and you sinned, now you're going to also have to figure out yourself how to get out of the problem. And so it's up to me. It's, you know, whatever uh, implications or, or religious acts or pious activities Satan will set you up to perform, all of these interpretations implications and perceptions are based on and easily used by Satan to bring us to the conclusion uh, to embrace the lie. We don't need to have perceptions when we can know stuff. I don't need to use my senses to figure something out if I already know what the word of God says. I don't need to interpret something that is right there to interpret for me and giving me the meaning and understanding. And he gives us that meaning subtly. He gives it to us through peace, sometimes through you know, we get freaked out by silence and God's not saying anything. And sometimes you're in a fiery trial and you say, well, what's the Lord saying? What's the Lord saying? What's the word say? What's, go to a prophet. What are they saying? Blah, blah, blah. What's going to happen? No, no, no. And God says, nothing. Quiet. Nada. And you just kind of keep, okay, I'm just walking through. I'm obeying. Okay, God, I, I got the commandment. I ain't turned it to the right or the left. You ain't said nothing different, nothing more. I'm just going to go forward. That's what Abraham had to do with Isaac going up to Mount Moriah. He didn't hear another word from God after God said, go sacrifice your son. He didn't hear another word from God until the knife was stopped by the angel of mercy. That's it. So there's a real fine, hardcore test for you. <clears throat> what am I going to do when God stops talking to me? Oh, I'm going to freak out, sit down, and, and go back and take some other advice from some evil spirit along the way. So, okay, so going back to Matthew for a second, I know we're kind of jumping around, but you know what? 
that's what you do all the time in your mind. You're very attention deficit. For most of us, that's what we do. So we're back in Matthew chapter 7. Here we go. Jesus had just told us about beware of the sheep and the wolves, the wolves in sheep's clothing, the ones in the midst of us that are not us, that look like us. And then he tells us later a parable of the tares and the, the wheat and the tares. And the tares, you know, sowed by the evil one in the field, in the good field of wheat, and to look like the wheat so they would grow up with the wheat and then steal from the wheat the nourishment of the soil and then, of course, pollute the wheat uh, harvest. Those tares, by the way, were poisonous little black seeds that would be mixed with the bread. And when the people ate that bread, those tares would give them, put them into a poisonous stupor, a mind fog. They were were physically dangerous to eat, but the tares appeared right there and they looked like the wheat for the longest time. So we go back to 720, uh, let's see, 21. He says, Jesus says, now back to where I said, we're in the last days. We're in the close to the end, really seriously. He said, let, let's see, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, <clears throat> what is the will of the Father in heaven? It is to accept Jesus Christ. You know, Satan has counterfeited the gospel of the Son of God, the story of the Son and salvation, redemption, rescue. He's rewritten it to be about getting rid of your sin. Jesus never said to the disciples, you've got to be good to get to heaven. As a matter of fact, he contradicted that he, that notion when the rich young ruler came and he said, what good master, what must I do to inherit your life? And presented to him this long list of commandments he'd kept in Jesus. And he said, sell all that you have, come follow me. So the young man was still trusting in and relying on his own resources, which was covetousness or fear. And Jesus said, you know, <clears throat> it's not about being good. It's not about keeping the law. Because Paul and the, and the apostles then said, oh, God, then who can go to heaven? If, if it's not about keeping the law, and this guy, he's pretty perfect, he's pretty close to right, then what's going to happen to all of us? <clears throat> and Jesus said, with man it is impossible. Salvation is impossible with man, but with God all things are possible. So when Satan makes the gospel about sin, and Jesus Christ makes it about the Son, you see there's a very close, there, those words are almost spelled the same. Sin, Son, I, O. Which one is it? Son of God or all about me and I? Okay. So he says, not everyone who says to me, not everyone who, now he says, the king, he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You say, well, well okay, I know what the will of God is. Um, verse 22, many will say, hey, Lord, Lord, have we not? Okay, here, prophesied in your name. Cast out demons in your name. Didn't you say to do that? Done many wonders in your name. We did it. We did the works. We did the works. Does the will of my Father. Well, that's what you said to do. So how can we do those things and God not acknowledging it as from him? And then he says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there are people out there who are clever, empowered by Satan to do what appears to be the works of God, the will of the Father. They appear to be doing the righteous things. But the fruit is where you got to go. Reduce it down to discern what is the fruit of it? Is it contention, bitterness, pride, power tripping, or is it humility, brokenness, and love? You know, I never knew you. If God knows us, <clears throat> we will be doing these things in the spirit of God. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them would be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So then when the rain descended, the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house. It did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Not every, now, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, we can hear them and not do them, or we can think we hear them and do what we thought we heard, which is wrong. There's a lot of ways to be confused and, and screwed up in this. It's, it's not just, you know, a simple little um, that's why we have the Holy Spirit inside of us so that he can help us to discern what's, what's really God. For example, um, <clears throat> a lot of, going back to the cliches again, I just, you know, if you take any one of them um, and reduce it down, it's pretty obvious what it is. 
Uh, but here, here, the, the pious deceivers would want us to believe, you know, I've heard people say, it's my cross to bear. How many people are accepting the pain, the sickness, the, the, the grief, the cancer, the confusion, the bad relationship, the this to that, and not, not submitting to God, resisting the devil, and he will flee, but actually just submitting to God and saying, you know, this is God's will for me. Well, what kind of a God <clears throat> would give a kid, his child, cancer to teach him a lesson? Not my God. Not the God I want to go to heaven with. Not the loving one who sent Jesus Christ. Not the God who said, uh, love your neighbors, forgive one another, blessed is he who is not offended. Now, that's not the God. Th- these are two different gods. The God who would make you teach, prove to him that you are, um, you know, you can learn a lesson or you need to learn a lesson is a, a reverse of the gospel. It's a twist. It's a, it's a tweaking, a twisting, a perverting. There are trials. The righteous suffer persecution. But we are not being, these things are not being put upon us by God. They're being put upon us by the adversary who wants us to think it's God. And, the, and it's very easy for him to make that switch and to make it very convincing because most of us are still under the counsel of a mixed gospel, the gospel of law and grace, law of plus grace. If, if you go to Romans 11, Paul is saying, if you do that, if you mix works with grace and grace with works, it, grace isn't grace if you mix it with works and works isn't works if you mix it with grace. And if you do that, you're gonna, God is going to put a spirit of stupor on you. That means God is going to permit, allow Satan to do what Satan wants to do. And that's put a spirit of confusion on you because what's going to happen is you, if you don't realize when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He said, it's fin- what's finished? What was finished when he said it was finished, when everything still seems to be totally up in the air, don't you think? <clears throat> Since that day, there's been nothing but war and rumors of wars and trouble and strife and persecution. He said, it's finished. What was- he, said, he said, it's finished because the gospel, the finished work, the completed necessary things necessary to complete the payment in full, pay in full the price that Satan demanded for our life was finished you know the requirements for that for purchasing our salvation were completed and we don't need to earn it we don't need to purchase it we don't need to repay we don't need to be on a payment plan with satan to every day pay for our own salvation it's been done but but we do continue to suffer but the suffering is not because we're paying for our salvation or we have to earn it it's because we're being persecuted for righteousness sake. But going back to this idea of law and grace. Okay. <clears throat> so it's my cross to bear, you know, whatever. So now I am believing if I'm mixing law with grace, what's going to happen? God, Jesus said it is finished. And he said the law is finished. It's satisfied. It doesn't have any more import or, or, or control or jurisdiction over you. But. Satan wants the law to remain very prominent in the lives of believers. That would include things like the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments is, are awesome. They were very necessary. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing bad about them. But the thing is, now in the New Testament, they've all been upgraded to three simple commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. It's all about love. It's all about forgiveness. The new law, Jesus said it in John 14, 15, 16, 17, this is the new command. The new commandment I give to you, the new commandment is to love. Love what? Love God. Love yourself. Love your neighbor. Love. Okay. That means to have compassion on. Have tender mercy for it. Don't try to uh, control their life or finagle or cheat them out of their life. Don't defraud them of their life. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the law. If you do that, you'll keep all the ten. But this law is now done not out of duty but out of devotion. And so the law is not like we're throwing the law out because we think, oh, if I let go of the law, then everything is going to go to hell in a handbasket and people are going to go crazy and they're going to misuse, uh, abuse grace. <clears throat> so we have to keep these restrictions on them. No, we don't need restrictions. You know what? If you really are in love with someone, you don't need to lay down a whole bunch of laws to make them love you. They're just going to want to come and be by you and want to spend time with you and talk with you and share their life with you. You don't have to you know, put a lot of scary uh, uh, demands on them because the minute you put a scary demand on somebody to get them to love you, you don't have love anymore. You've got coercion and you don't know what you've got. 
You've got intimidation. You've got victimization. You've got corruption. You've got yuck. <clears throat> so God had to just make it simple. It's grace. It's not law plus grace. It's grace. And let God be the one to judge his own servants. So, but if, if you mix law and grace, you're going to have a stupor put on you. And that stupor is put on you. So you don't even know anymore that you're being deceived. How cool is that for the devil? How, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, where there is no law, there is no transgression. So conversely then, where there is a law, there's transgressions. And who benefits from you being a transgressor? Not God, not you, just the devil. So he loves to bring up the law and say, you know what? You broke the law. You are guilty. Therefore, you deserve this sickness. You deserve this cancer. You deserve this punishment. You deserve this broken life. You don't deserve anything good because you are guilty. And guilt has the three friends we've talked about before. Guilt says, I'm guilty. I deserve to be punished. That would equal pain. I'm guilty. I don't deserve good things. That would equal poverty. And I'm guilty. I'm bad. Therefore, that would equal sickness because your immune system gets all confused about if you're good or bad. And so you are opening the door through an agreement with a lie. I'm guilty. It's my fault. I, t- I needed to take responsibility. I should have, could have, and didn't. Therefore, I deserve. I deserve because I broke the law. Now, Satan, is his number one objective is to get you and I to be separated from God, to believe that God is mad at us, God doesn't care, you know. And the best way to do that is to, is to tie God with the keeping of the law. So if God and keeping the law equal the same thing in my mind, if I break the law, then obviously I've made God mad at me. So if I've made God mad at me, then I have to obviously, through implication, agree that I am guilty. Therefore, if I'm guilty, Satan has a right to put on me the things I have agreed with, that I am, uh, you know, guilty, deserve these things. So many people, because they don't understand the price has been paid for, they, they, they settle down and accept things in their lives that they don't have to put up with. I don't, I, I know there's a persecution. I know there's lots of witchcraft. I know there's lots of targeting of believers. I know all of that, but that hasn't anything to do with you being bad. That has with you to be doing, being good and following Jesus and being hated by Satan. And so if that makes sense to you, because here's the other problem, how do we know what gospel is the right gospel? Again, what did Jesus say? By their fruits, you shall know them. Well, let's just do a little quick reduction. Math you know, fractions, reducing them down to their lowest common denominator. What's really the bottom line here? So when you mix law with, bra- with grace, what are the fruit, what's the fruit of it? Well, it brings condemnation and confusion and frustration. For example, if we practice mix grace with be good, the be good gospel, got to be good to get to heaven. The be, and this is, by the way, Satan's rendition of the gospel, stop sinning, try harder, be good, get it right, do it over, measure up. And if you're in treatment, stay sober. So if we have that be good, try harder make a firmer commitment, uh, make a stronger resolve to do good, to do it right, and we fail, fail in that be good gospel, what happens? Well, the fruit of that is frustration. Uh, we might give up, give up. I can't do it right. This Jesus stuff doesn't work for me. Can't be saved. You know, I don't feel, you know, God's presence with me. So I give up. And then what do I do? I go away. Another fruit of the wrong gospel, the mixed gospel. Go away. So I leave the church or stop reading my Bible or, or just, you know, stop talking to God. Just feel like, you know, he doesn't want me. You know, God is a respecter of persons and he doesn't want me. So I go away and or I get mad because maybe I've done all the things God said. And, and I, I scream out, why me, God? Why do you let all this stuff happen to me? You love me. Uh, God doesn't care. He's not there. There's no justice. So we get mad. Or. The other option, fruit of mixing the law with grace, the the gospel of Jesus Christ with the law, is we stay in the church and we begin to gossip and compare ourselves with everybody else and judge and, 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 and compare myself with them. At least I'm not as bad as them. So we're determining our rank, uh, our spiritual ranking in this race. That is, by the way, there's nobody else in this race but you. You're racing against yourself. And by the grace and power, you don't even need to do that. You need to rest, not race. Paul says, yeah, I, I can find scriptures too. Well, he says, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith, you know, run the race with the patience. But all of these things, the only way you can do all that is to abide in Jesus Christ and to rest in him. Or otherwise, you're just going to get religious and worn out. So when you mix law with grace, which most of our churches, most of our Christian churches do on a regular basis, it's a regular diet. 
of oatmeal and gravel every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every youth group, everything they do. You're mixing it. There's always the implication. We've got to do this. We've got to pay for the bricks. We've got to take the offering. We've got to, you know, da-da-da. We've got to build bigger buildings. This is an abomination to God. This stuff that we think is God is not God at all. And he's going to say, I never knew you. All these works that were working for God, building our buildings and our steeples and polishing our windows and shining up our bells and, and ignoring the lost is just pathetic. It's, it's, it's sad beyond words. We have given our time, our money, our energy, our uh, loyalty to the pursuit of such a bunch of counterfeit nothing. God's going to say, I don't even know you. What are you talking about? Yeah, you're the pastor. What, what, what church is that? I don't even know. I don't know that church. I'm not saying God doesn't come to that church and visit individuals and speak to them there. Of course he does. And of course there are believers, true believers, stuck in these salt shakers. But God didn't say stay in the salt shaker. When the salt shaker gets shook, you get out and you go season the stew, whatever you're supposed to do out there. All right. So all this fruit, the fruit of mixing the, the law with the grace gospel is bitter frustration deception condemnation and satan wins because the power and demonstration of the gospel of jesus christ is lost in the fatigue the work and the confusion and you know you just begin to chase your tail after a while don't you think we need to stop that we're jesus christ is coming back who, who talks about that oh a few fringe believers oh a few um you know fanatic christians and God don't listen to them because they're fanatic. And, you know, with the prophets, did they look like they were mainstream, mainline people? To me, they sounded like they were fanatics, crazy, you know. But they had the word of God. God is passionate about what he wants to, to get through to us. And he has many ways of doing it. But if you don't have ears and you don't want to hear, then it goes off. It just runs off like water off of a duck's back. You know, and then another way the devil deceives us in this you know, cliche thing is, how do you feel? How does it make you feel? We think that serving God should feel something, feel euphoric, feel high. You know, it's like a dopamine rush. It's not. There is nothing about serving God that tickles the flesh or makes it feel good. I can, my flesh, my body likes peace. And when I'm at peace, my body is happy. I'm not anxious. I'm not worried. I can get, there's less contention in my body. It's running more smoothly, more balanced, more efficient. All of that good stuff. That's peace. That's the effect of peace in my body. Feeling of euphoria. I'm, I'm now at the mercy of trying to keep that feeling. How do I keep that feeling of euphoria, that dopamine, that, that's what an addict tries to do. He chases after she, you know, we're all addicted to something, so I'm not picking anybody out special, but we're all looking for a way to control our feelings, our circumstances, our emotions, other people's behaviors, all looking for a way to control what we cannot control. And then we get really frustrated. We spend a lot of money trying to do it. We get really upset, really mad. We can't do it anyway. You think that if you can control somebody else's feelings or their emotions or their responses so that they'll be happy, so then you can be happy, or that you can somehow keep that effervescent, euphoric, high in going on inside of you, whether you do it through drugs or uh, you know, incense or activity, you, you, you know, it, that in itself is a driven madness right there. I don't need to coddle to my feelings and make sure my feelings are happy. I'm happy. My feelings can be quiet. My mind can be quiet because my spirit is listening to God and I know stuff. And when stuff, you don't have to think it. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to worry about it. You just know it. And when you know that God is faithful, then you know he's going to complete the work he's begun in you. That's, that's where we got to go with this thing. So these fake gospels are all around us. Paul actually said, you know, some are going to come peddling the word of God. And they've used it for greedy gain. Troubled him. That made him sad. But he says, nonetheless, nevertheless, you know, I'm going to preach the gospel the way I'm wanting and I know why God wants me to preach it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose out on heaven because of a hypocrite. You know, a long time ago when I was first saved, I saw, I was a young believer. I knew not much of the word, but I, I sensed in my spirit that what we were in, the group we were in, although I'd never been in that type of group before, because I'd been in a very organized 
um, religion <clears throat> where you knew every day, every Sunday, what exactly you were going to do when you were going to stand up, sit down, genuflect, take the water, the holy water, the communion, da da da. You knew everything was laid out for you. So there was no guesswork. So after we leave all that regimented religion, we get into this, you know, other thing that I didn't have words for. I didn't know things about witchcraft and control. And, but all I knew in my spirit was something wasn't right. This wasn't the right gospel, although they seemed to have a better handle on who Jesus was. And they used the word of God a lot. There was something not right. And so I started reading the word, the Bible for myself. I just said, I'm not going to be deceived again. I'm just going to read it for myself. And the Holy Spirit was very faithful to teach me, lead me, show me what was going on. And it was awesome, awesome, awesome. But in the midst of that, I realized that the people that I was following were liars, hypocrites, afraid, control freaks. And later on, I really realized that they were a cult practicing witchcraft and spiritual abuse and spiritual control. Guess what? I was in it for seven years. And guess what? God was faithful to get us out of it. But in the midst of all that, I got very mad, bitter, upset at the spiritual leadership going on there and how they had deceived many of my friends and were just controlling them to the max. And I was walking by the outside of that one day, and, and the, the voice of God just said, you know, I was really angry. I was really angry. And, and it was starting to turn to bitterness, which means the anger is starting to go inside of you, seeping down inside, because you couldn't say anything about it. And, and he says, um, and referring to the person I was angry with and bitter against, he says, is she worth going to hell over? So they said, no, 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 absolutely not. No, I'm not going to spend my life in hell because I want to take this moment to be really mad at this woman who's totally twisted up and messed up, this spiritual Jezebel. No, not going to. So there is no hypocrite or no amount of spiritual hypocrisy that's worth it going to hell over. There's no amount of confusion, uh, you know, and what's the, we try to rationalize, we try to make things fit. There's no amount of rationalizing or other side of that coin, getting mad, bitter, throwing the whole baby out with the bathwater. There's no amount of hypocrisy that's out there that's worth me going to hell over. Jesus said he is the way. There is one way that is the right way. There is truth. And the truth isn't, isn't discussable. It's not something you and I want to sit down, okay, we're going to take out our theological uh, you know, texts and, 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 and scrutinize this and that. Truth is Jesus Christ. Truth is his spirit bearing witness with my spirit. And then we are in agreement. If we make God synonymous with the law and all these cliches, we get confused. And if I break the law, and supposedly as the argument with hell would go in your mind, you broke the law, you're guilty of breaking the law. God's the one who gave the law. Therefore, you're, you've come against God. God is mad at you, and God is going to punish you. God is going to punish you now, and you deserve it because you broke the law, because you sinned. And so, therefore, we say, I'm guilty. I deserve this bad thing that's happening to me, and we don't resist it because we think it's God. And then we get really confused because why would God do this to me? And then we become tempted to become bitter, like with Job. Tempted to become bitter. Why me, God? What did I do? God, I was being righteous. You He didn't know the conversation. God had actually already said to the devil, have you seen my righteous servant Job? He's already righteous in God's eyes. God wasn't testing him to see what was in Job. God already knew what was in Job. He did. He already said it in the very, very, very first words. But Satan says, I don't believe it. I don't believe he's righteous. As a matter of fact, I bet I I can get him to curse you. Just let me have Adam here a little bit. Let me take take your protection off of him. Let me touch him. Let me take his stuff. Let me see where he, what he's really made. You, you, you give him everything. You spoil him. He, you bought him off. He doesn't really just love you for you, God. So God says, okay, but you can't take his, touch his body a second time. No, you can't take his life. He, God drew lines, and Satan had to abide within the lines, which is a good thing. <laughs> but nonetheless, God was proven right that Job was faithful and righteous, and God was right all along. And Job, in the middle of that trial, could have said, okay, okay, I did something. I'm guilty then. Because that's what his friends wanted him to say. He's guilty. Okay. So then he would have admitted he's guilty when he wasn't guilty. He didn't do anything wrong. And then the devil says, yep, 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 see, see, you agreed you're guilty. So therefore, I am justified in taking all this stuff from you, punishing you, and, and, and beating you up. I'm justified because you already admitted you're guilty. No, not admitted guilty. He was pretty unhappy with the day he was born. 
he was et cetera, et cetera, but he, did, and, but he didn't curse God. He didn't admit he was guilty, and he didn't get mad at God. He didn't become bitter. He didn't say, why me, God? He didn't say that. He said a lot of things, but he didn't say that. So he, his two temptations were to become bitter because he felt he was being unjustly treated by God and, because, and the other one was to succumb to the guilt. So, see, the thing is, if we don't, if we continue to mix the law with grace, Satan has a leverage over you. He can say, you're guilty, God's mad at you, I have a right to punish you. If you go back to the devil and say, you know what, full of holes, because Jesus Christ finished the law. He satisfied the law. He is completed the law. The law has no more jurisdiction over me. It's whosoever will. I come freely to God. He saved me. He, he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord be saved, I'm saved. I, I'm here, standing here, devil, by the grace and the goodness of God. And if I sin because you tricked me, then I tell you what, I confess that God tricked God. Have, forgive me. I confess. And when you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it. When you confess your sin, you're actually saying, I come out of agreement with what I just believed. I believe that, you know, I could tell a lie and be okay. I believe that I could steal that whatever and, and not get in trouble. I believe the lie. Forgive me, God. And most of us are going to have to repent of the Gospels we believed. Seriously, you better examine it because nobody else is going to examine this Gospel for you but you. And don't go look into your leaders and advisors and the books that you read to try to figure out if you're in the right Gospel. You go back to the Word itself. You take responsibility, if you will, for your own life because that's the only thing that you have to give an account of. And the only thing you can give an account of is how you lived your life. So when we're talking about taking responsibility, God doesn't use that word responsible. He uses the word faithful. God is actually faithful to do the work in you. God is faithful to make you, allow you to learn through the testings, the trials, the attacks, the assaults of the enemy. God is actually using those things to qualify you to be joint heir with Jesus Christ, to rule and reign, to sit with him on his throne. He says to the overcomer of the revelations, you get to sit with him on his throne. You know, this work of deception, Jesus said in Matthew 24, be not deceived in the last days. One of the bigger signs would be all this deception. Everybody's going to be God. All the false Jesuses and Antichrist spirits are prowling around, preaching in the churches, holding special meetings, you know, doing evangelistic crusades, some of them. To what? Get the people saved and brought to Jesus? No, not really. To get To take an offering and to get, you know, to deceive you. That's not what you... You you have to go back to the fruit, reduce it down. Now, here's the problem. Here's a pitfall. Here is a problem. The more hungry you are for God, the more likely you're going to get caught on those hooks of religion, legalism, and law. Because, for example, Jesse Penn Lewis, an author 200 years ago, wrote a, wrote a book called War on the Saints, 200 years ago. And she said this. In the last days, those who would be the most easily deceived, what are we talking about here, deception, would be the ones who are the most hungry for God. Okay. That would be what little fish gets caught on the hook. The full fish or the fish. Satan, being the master fisherman that he is, the master deceiver, knows exactly what we're hungry for. He knew what Eve was hungry for. She was hungry for wisdom. She wanted to know God more. She wanted to... She didn't know what she had. She already had God. She already had eternal life. He says, you'll never die. She wasn't going to die. She already had eternal life. She already had the access to all the wisdom in the universe, to God himself, conversations, walking in the cool of the day. Everything she already had, he sold her again and charged her for it and took away from her everything she had because he sold it to her through the forbidden fruit. Just do this little thing. It's no big deal. What are you hungry for? You know, when we, Satan, the devil, oh, we don't want to use that word, the devil, Satan. Well, that's who he is. He's the devil, Satan, the evil one, the enemy of our souls, the God of this world. Let's name him for crying out loud. Name your enemy. Stop being so spiritually afraid of all this stuff. Fear is from the devil. Stand up. Resist him. Submit to God. Resist the devil. The devil has capitalized. That's a money word. He's made a lot of money on the masses, on their hunger for God. And he sold them a counterfeit bill of goods. Imitations, versions of the genuine gospel. To catch them on the hooks of ultimately despair. And it doesn't work. And so what? They swim away from God. 
this God stuff doesn't work. How many people out there right now are disillusioned with God because they've been sown, uh, taught a corrupt gospel, a gospel that doesn't work, a gospel that's, that's not good for them, a gospel that is from the enemy? Satan is a fisherman. He's fishing for the souls of men. He's clever. He's crafty. He's good at the things he does. And he knows what we're hungry for. Are you hungry for justice? Watch it. If you're hungry for justice, guess what? By the way, this world is not set up on a system of justice. There can be justice by the grace of God. He can intervene in various situations, and he does. But he only intervenes if we have and release the case over to the high court of heaven. That we can talk about some other time. But it's not, are you hungry for, for righteousness? He'll sell you a bill of religious goods, penance, rituals, obligations. Are you hungry for more of God? Satan will sell you a bill of goods and clever self-help books and cliches and, and, and pious deceptions, trinkets of every kind. All of this confusion, all of these cliches have come about, really, because we have just failed to rightly divide the Word of God. We've not received the witness of the Holy Spirit. We have been taught, here's another one of our big lies, taught to believe, I've got to make the choice. I've got to make the choice. Okay, so you're going to make a choice. Why would you need to make a choice? If you're saved, you already made a choice. Stay there. Don't make any other choices to move out of that. Make the choice to stay where you are in God and let the Holy Spirit lead you. So many of us take responsibility to allow, which allows a pious deceiver impersonating you, a religious counselor from hell, into your life to help you make your spiritual decisions. Now, what's the chances that Fear and doubt and confusion are going to give you good directions on how to get to heaven. They're not. So we, we, we have been sold this bill of good. It's up to me. I've got to walk the walk. I've got to, you know, make the choices. You know, how can I protect myself from deception? Do I want to be deceived? No. Do I wake up in the morning and say, okay, today I want to be deceived. Today I want to get caught on the devil's hook. Today I'm going to try out my options to sin. I'm going to do that just today. See where it goes. You don't do that. We don't wake up and say, I'm going to destroy my life today. Oh, yeah, let's just do it. No, if you're destroying your life today, it's because you're caught on a hook and being drugged behind Satan's boat. That's what's happening. And only God can cut that line and set you free. If you cry out to him, he will do it. Seriously. And you say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. Don't count on that it didn't work. Don't believe the, deceive, the, 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 the deceiver who's telling you it didn't work. You don't know it didn't work. You feel like it didn't work. The just shall live by faith, not feelings, right? So we're living by our, our feelings. We're very vulnerable to all kinds of injustices and crazy things going on in the world. Now, let's just go back for a second and review this. Okay. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is grace and good news, which reduces down, as you do the spiritual math, to peace, rest, joy, being okay, and being okay with being okay. And knowing that you're loved, knowing that God is good. If you use the mixture gospel of law and grace, you're going, to re, you're, going to discern, you're going to reduce it down to believing God is not good. God is not fair. I kept the law and, and, or I broke the law, whichever way it goes. And God did not, you know, save me or heal me or set me free. So God is mad at me and I'm mad at God because he's not listening to me. So that mixing of the law with grace implicates that God is not good. And if God is not good, then, of course, that the Satan is one because now you don't want to be with God. And because you're hungry for the things of God, you're very gullible to being deceived by the bait, by Satan's bait on the hook. If you're hungry. So if you're hungry, satisfy yourself in the word of God and cry out to the Holy Spirit who's been downloaded imparted to you, lives in you, has been established, set up in you as the Holy Ghost guidance system, GPS, the Holy Ghost, heaven's GPS, to lead you into all truth and triumph, triumph in Jesus Christ. This is, it's not as hard as you think. And then when it gets to be not as hard as you think, then you can go out there and do the things that God said to do. Because how many have time to go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, preach the gospel, if they can't even live for Jesus in their own private life? Let Jesus lead you. Don't make it so hard. If you feel it's hard, then ask Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit, ask God to deliver you from this, this impersonator, this liar, this deceiver 
who dwells in you, the spirit of doubt, fear, confusion. And let's walk in peace, in, in peace of mind. For he keeps in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. So, Father, we thank you today that these cliches are not what we live by. We don't live by the fake, the lies. We live by the truth, the truth of your word, which is very simple, which is very integrated, which is very compassionate, which is very understanding, which is very relevant, Lord God, that the truth is what sets us free. And Jesus, you are the truth. So we ask you now that you expose, in the light of your truth, expose the hidden works of darkness, the lies, the, the, the uh, capturing, where we've been captured, held in the strongholds of Satan, that you will set us free for your glory, for the time is short, Lord God. So we ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. LifeRecovery.com. That's the website where you can catch this radio show, Rescue Radio. Um, things Jesus never said. Have a great day. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.